This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Aloha, everybody. A new twist. Tis I introducing this episode. I'm here with the illustrious and obsequious Tony Hunt. Hello. How are you doing, Tony? <laughs> I am quite well, thank you. Uh, today's episode is sort of like, it's sort of a fantasy for me. Um, what, what should uh, 21st century education look like versus what it does look like, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, if it were my world, uh, I, would, I would make schools a certain way, and I will divulge that way you know, during this podcast. Um, Okay. Because I think, if I can interrupt, I think when we were talking, it's, we were discussing how if we're in the 21st century and we keep talking about schools in the 21st century, why has nothing changed since the 19th century? Hmm. Or since the turn of the century for the 20th century, since 1900? Yeah, I guess I'm not as pessimistic no. <laughs> just because I can barely handle the fact that uh, school hasn't changed in the 20th, since the 20th century. But I think you're probably right. Structurally, it's still a 19th century model. And we have all so. this technology. Right. Yeah. But That's all it seems is how do we adapt the technology to go into this machine that we've created rather than how do we adapt to the technology and use the technology to further and change what it is that we have? And are we really that that based in what we do that we, yeah. we cannot adapt, which is a sure sign of, of struggle for civilization, if not a people? Yeah, I kind of see it as a crisis in a way actually i do see it as a crisis i'll admit it right now okay. simply because you know the philosophy and the approaches of the two i'm starting out with we'll talk about alternative ed it's got an emphasis on individual learning uh, right. student-centered learning mm-hmm. uh, flexible curriculum uh flexible evaluation okay uh really it's quite modeled on the student teacher exchange and student centered at that. Whereas the conventional schools, the ones that we're regularly going to their curriculum centered for the test results. They're definitely looking at um, classroom centered benchmark sort of curriculum. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the kids just kind of get lost in that. 
uh, you know, for example, if you're in the ninth grade, as I was, <laughs> and you know, your algebra skills just aren't the greatest and they weren't, um, mm-hmm. you know, we should be moving through them and upward into algebra two. And I was still floundering with algebra one. Um, right. And I got lost, you know, because there was kind of no place for me to go after. Well, I took algebra one twice, actually, because I felt not comfortable having I got a B the first time, but I didn't remember a thing. And I got a B the second time and I kind of still don't remember a thing. But um, that's not that wasn't student centered. I had to take my own initiative on that. And I didn't mm-hmm. have an alternative to use. I just took summer school <laughs> and I had a girlfriend. She took it, too. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> but, Is that yeah. the reason why you actually took it twice? Well, that was one of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Your girlfriend says, I take algebra. And I go, you know, I could love to hang out with you. And I should probably do it, too. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of funny that way. It, it's that, that classroom structure. I had to go to the summer school because it, I don't think I could have asked to go to Algebra 1 again in my high school. Can I, I loved take algebra that again? One. See, I, I loved I Algebra do. 1. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I think Algebra 1 was fun because we loved our teacher. Oh, and oh, we knew so we, critical. And we knew how to manipulate her because she was tied <laughs> in with, with the That's college terrible. that was right next to our campus with the theater mm-hmm. apartment. And she used to take us to the, to the shows there. And so we would ask oh. her about movies and then she'd go off on these stories. She was a bit like me. She would go off on these tangents and sometimes they would take up the better part of the period. And so everybody would ask me to yeah. ask her a question. Ask her a question today. What question are you going to ask her today? Right. To ask see her if we about could... that the story. Can you do that story? Oh, yeah. God, I know. Yeah. Know. Just to see if we could get away from doing our work. And she caught on. She knew what we were doing. But yeah. um, no, it was. Uh, and it, and it made everything you. so much easier. Yeah. The joke's on you. You did well in the class. You enjoyed the class. Right. And she gave you the illusion that you were playing with her. <laughs> right. Now. <laughs> Now the next year when we when we ended up with and mm-hmm. I think I've referred to him before, Mr. Utter. Yeah. From Australia and <laughs> geometry. Yeah. And at the end of the first semester, he threw his hands up and said, I can't do I can't work with these people anymore. <laughs> so he thought we were students. just insufferable insufferably stupid. Um he oh. left and I ended up with my former foreman, because I worked out in the strawberry fields during the summer, and <laughs> and the foreman that we had, I called him Simon Legree, and um, he ended up being my geometry teacher my sophomore year of high school, and we never got along. We did not get along out in the fields. We did not get along in class. And so I had to continuously make deals with him to pass the class. I passed with the C, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't getting yeah. it. I mean, the the yeah. whole concept of doing a proof just did not fall into line for me. Nothing clicked. I was constantly picking and choosing and guessing. Yeah, that's that's the strategy. <laughs> It's like you're not invested, which leads to our next topic, you know, the structures and environment between alt ed and regular ed. It's like, well, in alt ed, quite frankly, the class is smaller. And guess mm-hmm. what? The relationships grow closer 
and the investment in the relationship and the curriculum, geez, it's just so much easier. And instead of just sort of, uh, what's the, like the building itself, the big high schools with 2000 plus students <laughs> literally have to be managed like an institution. And I think that becomes the focus of a lot of the roles in that schools to keep the institution of, you know, I don't know, Prairie High School or whatever it's called, you know, going. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know, yeah. that's 2000 is small. 2000 I've, is small. I've <laughs> heard I've heard of schools that were over 4500 and I the students you. refer to them as massive shopping malls. Uh, yep. And I can't okay. imagine how they manage that. But I think we yeah. talked before about containment. Yo, containment. I like that. I've, did we use that word? Did I miss how like cool that? Yeah, we sounds? used it in two episodes. They're they're uh, they're places of containment uh, rather than attainment. Yeah, because this that's hitting me something differently now. It's like yeah, it's a container. It's not really a school. Kids don't really invest in that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it's a Costco bundle. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. And if it's textbook um, based, I, wow, I don't know of many teachers who can make that interesting for the 130 students they have a day, 120. Yeah, I, it, it's just. It takes a lot of energy to adapt to each group of kids and then make a textbook assignment, add to it, take from it, whatever it takes to make it better. It's difficult. If you can't innovate, you know, kind of like on the fly, like a musician, if, you, if you're taking a jazz musician and said, hey, yeah, play this, play this Chopin. It's like, what? <laughs> That's, I can do it. It's not going to be grand. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just... They could probably read the music or maybe not. I mean, some of the greatest musicians. That unless, music. unless you figured out a strategy where you could have, because no kid really wants to raise their hand and say, I'm not getting this because oh, sometimes yeah. the peer pressure of, Oh, come on. We've been over this and over this, but it <laughs> would be nice to be, if, if, if they had structures in place in these massive communes, where they could, containers. Um, where they <laughs> containers, where the students could be tutored with each other or ask questions of each other, and yeah. just kind of do the work because yeah. a, you as a student can use the exact same language that I'm using, yeah. but it's easier for another student to hear it. And so what I used to do was I used to say, because I could see some confused faces, I would do paraphrasing where the students would have to tell me, what is it that we're talking about? Because I see some confused looks out there. Right. And so who can explain it in student ease, what yeah. it is that we're asking to do and answer any questions that might come up? And so then some students will take the lead and they'll do that. So you're offering leadership, you're offering students <laughs> to work amongst themselves mm -hmm. in order to figure something out, which is a lot less intimidating or threatening. And if you can set the order up to have that happen, yeah, it works out real well. Has to be a smaller classroom for sure. I don't know um, that you, it, I've done it in larger classrooms. I've never been able to pull it off unless I had a good culture. Well, uh, you have to six, develop that. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's really oh, difficult okay, to yeah. develop in a class of like 26, right. 30 kids. It's like, cause you always got two of them that just check out for every explanation you have for anything. It's like, I just spoke to you. Did you not hear? Oh, what? It's like, really? I mean, and so those two go spinning off in a little dervish and then like the leader gets upset at him and rightly so, but it's like, no, you can't like chastise them. Like during the lesson, it's like, Oh, help me Lord. <laughs> well, it kind of spins sometimes, but with smaller groups, you can actually figure out who your leaders are and nurture them. Right. I think quiet. Some of them, some of them talk too much actually. But I think one of the big jokes is yeah. you can put it on the overhead. You can discuss it until you're blue in the face. Right. You've talked about what you're doing. You have handed a handout to everybody that has all the steps. You go over all the steps. Yeah. You've given them all that they need, all the necessary tools. You tell them who they're working with or whatever, and you explain everything that they need. You say, are there any questions? No, there's no questions. Mm -hmm. And then you get going. And then you have a line of five kids who all line up. And each one of them says, could you tell me what we're doing? <laughs> or, you, or you start a little later because a couple students are missing. And then you finish the explanation. And then the students locked in. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then it's. Go talk to them and they will explain to you what we're doing a lot better probably than I can. Actually, I'm going to use that. That's a good one. I, I, I would use that in a classroom. That's the thing about being a substitute right now. It's like, I can't, I can't adjust to the culture quick enough. Maybe I should just initiate some things. And that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Go ask one of your classmates and see what they say. And then listen to hear what they say to hear what I said, right or wrong. <laughs> Because I'm interested in, did I come through loud and clear? Or are they going to, because they, I noticed that a lot of times in the big classrooms, there's a group of kids that will together come up with an idea that is much dumber than any one of them can come up with on their own. Which means that if, in a classroom of like 10 kids, that one kid is sort of limited by their own initiative or imagination. Whereas in, in a classroom of 30, those three to four kids can really create quite a tempest. But I wouldn't. No, I take that back. When <laughs> when a student comes up with an idea, yeah, that's a little outside the box. Mm -hmm. That's when you want to commend them for being creative. Oh yeah, that was clever of you. Mm -hmm. But let's think about the consequences. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I had an incident just recently where there was a, a group of boys who were total, what I like to call jack wagons, just completely like, can you be any more annoying? <laughs> but <laughs> they were at a jigsaw puzzle and I kind of thought, okay, they're doing the jigsaw puzzle. One of them took all of the work for the past three days and he took it all apart. And, um, uh, I found out about this, but I was kind of sitting on it. And what happened was they found out the classes from before him and later found out that it was him that did that. And they like three or four students went up and said, listen, why did you do that? Because I wanted that done. I worked a lot on that. And he's like, Ugh. and I just sat back and thought, this is just godsend. I mean, it's much better than I could go. Now, don't do that. 
you know, because the kids are going, hey, you moron, <laughs> you really messed this thing up. He's kind of wearing egg on his face, and it was brilliant wow. to watch. I loved it. It was <laughs> so. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What does this have to do with 21st century? It has so much to do with 21st century because okay, we can't do those kind of classrooms. Um, you know if. In the a 21st century school, first and foremost, has mm -hmm. to be smaller than 150. That big Dunbar's number. My favorite classroom say, has to be less than 100. I'm sorry, not classroom, but a school site. School site staff. And I was going to say, where are you teaching in in That'd what crazy, prison? Yeah. yeah, really, just a school what district church? in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's God. That's that would be. I I counted once. It's average of about 126 students that I see per five periods a day in one school. Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, um, they, it can't happen. We have to start increasing the numbers of smaller sites, and they have to be independent, sort of from each other. They have to be networked, and that would then give you the classroom sizes or the structure to to build classroom sizes that are like 10, 11 kids. And because it's Dunbar's number, the staff and the students all are familiar with each other, if not working with each other directly. So the community mm -hmm. grows. Right. And, you know, they say that's, you know, that's, that's going to be really expensive. And I'm not going to debate that. That's true. It, it, it may well be expensive. What part is expensive? But I think it's worth it. What part is expensive? I don't know. I mean, that's I, I decided not to delve into that too much just because I thought that that topic deserved to be examined much closer. I, it's it's a good thought because I don't know where to start. For example, <clears throat> I worked in an, uh, an alternative site that started in a storefront. Right. Um, so storefront schools um, are effective. There are quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, and there's some after-school programs that are storefronts. Yeah. There are definitely. There was one uh, youth program in a small community I was living in, and it, they had used the old Safeco insurance building. It was sort of an office building, but they turned it into a, a, a school and a hangout for teens. They called it the Teen Lounge, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, there! I know that there was, I don't know if they still are, but there were writing projects for students after school and yeah. hiding behind a storefront. Um, but the zoning laws said that they needed to also sell goods and because they were oh. a storefront and that was part of the lease. And so I want to, that might've been the one in San Francisco. One of them was called the superhero store. And from the superhero store, um, they would sell cans of kryptonite. They would sell cans of different kinds of power, of invisibility, all kinds of stuff. And that was in the superhero store. And I don't know if that was in New York, Boston, whatever city it was. Um, there was one that was the pirate store. And, and I just remember my nephew would go to these and he would come in at Christmas and he would hand out presents from them. And one of them, I remember one year he gave my brother 
a plank. It's a parrot plank for a parrot to walk the plank. And he was yeah, falling yeah. over. He was falling all over himself because he thought it was so funny. But he did invest. He he did support these through donations because they um, they worked with students. They worked with inner city youth mm-hmm. to write and had all these writing projects that were going on. And so it was like something that was absolutely incredible in order to support that kind of learning in these different inner cities. So um, there, well, there's an awful lot know, of maker labs now. Yeah. And creator spaces. And do you, uh, do you think totally though, do you think that we've put too much into technology so that we forget about the very human part of us, which is learning how to express ourselves and learning mm-hmm. how to appreciate art and literature. Let me, okay. <clears throat> First off, I think creativity is creativity. Uh, but that does address one of the direct things about a 21st century program to me is that the curriculum is flexible and dynamic and that two teachers like us can discuss that and say, instead of going, well, this is what they do when they do it, you can actually discuss, is there too much emphasis on maker things? And if there is, what can we do to incorporate other modes, other subjects in that learning? And so we're teaching learning more or less than a subject itself. Mm-hmm. And that takes that takes a teacher, you know, because that's what makes us skilled is I can see that and go, yeah, you know, this one kid is really geeking out on this technical writing, but now I'm going to make them write creativity, you know, creatively. I'm going to have them actually write a creative essay about what they and their if I this if this could do what it needed to do, how would they do it? Things like that. Um, it, it just makes the curriculum more responsive to the technology. Maker technologies here, uh, AI. Oh right. man. It's not leaving. It's it's going to be used. We should embrace it to the best we can. Be skeptic yeah. when necessary, but it we have to be literate. It, just to put it on a on a table over somewhere. Oh, there's a boogeyman. That AI thing. They're going to do the cheating with it. It's like you need to know how it works, and you can spot that stuff too. Right. See, I have no uh, problems or qualms with use of technology. Right. Whether it's use of makerspace, it's use of programming mm-hmm. and computers. Um, I just want to make sure that we don't lose focus on everything that, in a sense, can become quite isolative. Right. Because if you're if you're doing just coding, you're focused and you are fused with your machine that you're working with. You're not necessarily working with other people in a group process. You might have them on the periphery and then you might meet with them, but you are, you're, you're in a flow state and it's, you can spend hours isolated from other people. True. True. Now, for some people, they have no issues with that. But in a society that's becoming far more isolated, Mm -hmm. how do we 
renegotiate our way back into where use of computers becomes a tool rather than a lifestyle and a life choice. And how do we teach that so that we're using that and still keep our humanity? And I think that's the big question about about the 21st century is do we go all out with isolation? Because a lot of it, I mean, even at home, how many yeah. parents are actually paying attention to their kids? And I was thinking this morning, how often do parents actually read to their children and spend time with their children? Read with them. Yeah. Right. And just discuss and, with them. Yeah. And have quality time. And I'm sure that there are people on here who say, but I don't have kids. Well, if you have pets, and you're walking along, do you expect your pet to keep up with you or do you allow your pet to stop and sniff and learn? Because that's what they're doing when they're sniffing is they're gathering information and it works their brain. And that's one of the most positive things you can do for them. Or is everything geared towards what you want and they are just a little subset of you and you need them to conform and to do what you need them to do? You know, you just kind of walked right into a perfect topic about that. And um, it's uh, the awareness of what learning is. And I I don't think we teach the kids at an early early enough age what learning is and how it's, it's very relative, you know, because there's a grading scale, for example, in uh, mathematics, you know, in, in the second grade. And if you're not ready for that, just in some fashion, you're not ready to compete on that normalized, standardized grading scale. Um, nobody explains to you that you're not a failure compared to other kids or something. They kind of let it state. Yeah, they they kind of don't say anything. And it would have been valuable had I learned about learning. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there are diff- multiple intelligences that came up in my graduate program. You know, we all have our thing and some of our things aren't as strong as others. And um, I learned this from a special ed guy and it was always valuable. He used to tell his students, listen, having that that condition, that disability, whatever it is, doesn't mean you can't you don't do the work. It means it's going to be harder. It just is. And I'm sorry, but that's it. And it's real. It's very rewarding when you master, say, reading, if you're dyslexic, because it's so much more difficult. Well, students and who the work payback through their is unbelievable. Yeah, they do. Students and, who can work through their struggles, who have the grit yeah. to do it, end up being, and it doesn't matter that they get a C or a D or a B. Exactly. They end up being the ones who are far more successful later on in life because they know how to work through the ad the right. adversarial situations they know how to overcome those obstacles and so they'll do it, well it becomes intrinsic yeah mm-hmm. it, it's 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 within you really um and right. it's our job to bring it out i mean because a lot of kids will hold themselves back with ideas about themselves that are totally wrong um yeah. and we kind of miss that in the bigger buildings and i for example Again, I had a senior, she, she did 10 rough drafts of the final research paper because her English language skills were not very good. 
Mm-hmm. And when she produced her paper, I gave her an A because I was so impressed with her effort and her acceptance. Um, that was probably a B, maybe a B minus paper by normal standards per se. But she, there it is. I mean, I saw what she went through. I saw where she started to where she got. It's like, that's A work. I mean, you mm-hmm. really, that was superior. And she learned a lot about learning and that was what it was about. You know, the content itself wasn't, you know, you can write a great research paper as a high school senior and then never write another one the rest of your life and, you know, get the A on that one. But well, I she think, has something going. Yeah. I think what you did leads to another big question that I have, mm-hmm. and that is how often do we take into consideration what has been conquered when a student completes an assignment? Yeah, yeah. When is it uh, good enough, per se? Well, what's been conquered? I mean, what has that student actually achieved mm-hmm. in what they've done? If they can just spit out a paper, they haven't done a whole lot of anything. There's no wow factor to it. There's yeah, nothing. Yeah. And so for that one student on a rubric, that would maybe be a three. Yeah, sure. Which, Daddy and mommy are probably going to be furious because their little darling needs to go to Harvard or Yale. If you really want to mess with a student. <laughs> but Which is fun. You know, for mm-hmm. Felicity Plots over there, who has a terrible time, has low self-esteem, but worked really hard in this and the assignment was a labor of love, and you see them working, and they strive, and they work really hard, and you can Mm -hmm. see the progress on it. You can see what they're overcoming. You need to acknowledge that. And that is far more reasonable to expect something better as a reward than somebody who's constantly just churning out the same old thing and getting A's, A's, A's because, oh, this is so good. I can't find any fault with it. Well, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> yeah. My kids, for example, went to uh, the same high school. My son knew how to play the game academics mm-hmm. and uh, he got extremely good grades and uh, played baseball into college and you know, and, and was successful in that game. And he, and he graduated with the degree from the, uh, the university. Um, so, and he was challenged. That school they had was very college prep and it did it very well. And it sent kids all over the nation, a lot to Ivy League, Stanford, you know, uh, things like that. My kid went to a, a, a reputable university. In any case, it didn't allow my daughter who came later, like four years later, any room. And she, to this day, has not gone to college. Uh, she's doing quite well. She's married. Um, but there was no place for her. Um, she In was what just sense? All kid, that she wasn't going to college. That pre-college stuff wasn't appealing to her. And so her grades were so-so and she felt alienated. Um, she, her friends sort of formed a group of unto their own. They weren't irresponsible, but they certainly weren't invested. 
Mm-hmm. She audited a class. I thought that was hilarious. And the, the teacher said, you know, you're not, you're going to get enough if you don't do the work. She goes, oh, I'm not, uh, you can give me enough. She goes, I'm not doing any work. I'm just here because I like the subject. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, and she didn't need the credit. She told right. me she did it. And I go, you don't need the credit. She goes, no. I go, okay. Wow. So she found, I think she got a, I don't know what she got. It wasn't an F, but basically she audited a high school class, but she so, didn't have a place there. So it was a big okay. building, not a too big, but it had its thing. It was pre-college. It was like, hey, you're going to go to the university next. And that's what they're always talking about up there, do you which, think, which is also, I'm sorry, go ahead. But. Do you, getting back on track, do you think that schools then need to diverge and go for what might be more of a college track and the other being more of a skills track? No, but I was going to say you just walked right into the next great topic is it's like all these kids have different places they're going to go. There needs to be a level of proficiency when you get out of high school, but it doesn't have to be focused, curriculum focused on test results. And it certainly doesn't have to have a school centered curriculum based upon going to college next. So there should be like community um, alliances, you know, there's like, that. oh, uh, you know, workplaces. Um, it's uh, partnerships and community resources regarding work, career, college, things out of high school. You know, find as many paths to travel. If you worked in that one program where, you know, the kids had a job internship and then they'd come to the school or do the job internship based upon the day or the hours. Right. Um, and they developed a connection. And mm-hmm. some kids went into a trade and did quite well. Some p- kids went into business on their own, did quite well. You know, a lot of the Altaid kids that I taught never went to, well, didn't go to college right away. In fact, very few did, but they were ready. I made sure of that. I mean, if they had mm-hmm. to go to, and they ended up going to community college and asked them later how they did. And they said, oh, I did, I did good. I had to really work. And I said, well, that's good. But I wanted to make sure you weren't going to be like, oh my God, who sent me this kid? <laughs> right. Well, I've always yeah. told kids, always told them. Yeah. If if you are unsure of what you want to do, go to the community college first. Yeah, I, I it, it's a lot cheaper and it's not as difficult, and the classes are smaller, and you can get more help. But it kind of gets that. you into that grind, and then you can start exploring and discovering what it is that maybe you want to do. Yeah, and you and can have a part time job. Yeah. You're not going to go into you're not going to go into mountains of debt. And then if you want to transfer, you can have a higher GPA. So that if, and when you do transfer, you'll do well. Now there were several who did Uh not go to regular university. They just said, and I'm not talking about just alternative kids. I'm talking about mainstream kids as well. And we we used to take the kids over to the community college and I would see all kinds of past students there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not saying that the kids are stupid. No. But they're just not inclined that way. I had a kid who was brilliant. And his father said, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I said, your kid is really, really smart. 
he's going to go places. And I was just talking to his mom and he's in his thirties now. I was just talking, his mom called me the other day and we were sitting there talking and I said, so what does he do exactly? And she told me that he had started at the ground level, but he was such a fast learner that now he's supervising and explaining to people how to do what it is that they need to be done. And he's working with sheet metal fabrication in industry. Mm-hmm. So he's he's got he's got one of the bigger top jobs. So he's doing incredibly well. And this really was somebody is. that people loved in school, but they never saw what his path might be. And so they just kind of rolled their eyes. They said, "That's so sad." And I said, "No, it's not. He'll be fine. He'll be on his feet. Yeah. He might have a tough road to hoe, but he'll be there." So I'm just okay. So partnerships. But if you're talking about a high school with, let's say, 3,000 kids, I'm going to come down between the 4,600 and 2,000. Let's say 3,000, 3,500, something like that. Mm -hmm. How do you get enough partnerships in the community to help with that? Because if you're doing it in your community, you can't go outside your community very easily you have to right. stay within your boundaries because the other high schools are doing the same thing. Well, that also like begs the question, how many administrators do you need to hire just to make that system work that don't support a teacher or a student directly? Well, and that interestingly, would be the problem. Interestingly <laughs> enough, interestingly enough right now, yeah, the number of teachers entering the field mm-hmm. is pretty constant with the number of students that are going to school. So that enrollment is declining. People going into teaching is declining. Okay. Yeah. Teacher retention is declining. Yeah. Number of administrators has gone up by 800 and some odd percent. Uh Oh, Maybe it's 80 some odd percent, but it's mm-hmm. okay. So like down here, you see yeah. where my hand is. This is where yeah. this is where the teachers and the students are, okay? Administrators going into administration is like this way up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are far more. So my question is, yeah. why do we have so many people going into administration and it's not, which is not a dumb question. It's because it pays better. The hours aren't necessarily better, but it pays better. The bennies are better. The retirement's better. If you get into a decent one, I know people that are in administration who make about the same amount that they would as a teacher. But the the trajectory is higher. However, the income growth is higher. Possibly. But when they start making cuts, they're the ones that are going to be sliced. Yeah, because I think a lot of the proliferation of administrators is caused by the focus on the institution itself and not the reason for the institution, which is learning and teaching. So there becomes such an infrastructure within a school system or a district whereby administration consumes the budget and the time just 
making the institution survive and function. So and that our teachers means smaller sites and the competition so, would actually dwindle a little bit for those partnerships because so you our, could surgically find them. Yeah, go ahead. So are teachers then sort of like the security guards and uh, the and many of these administrators become sort of block wardens? Kind of. And the rules become the structure, the jail. Well, we right. don't do that here. Or, no, I'm sorry, you can't take that class over again. We can't offer it to you again. You so there's no summers. personalization. It's right. just very, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, very it's industrial. a lot of work to make a three, 4,000 person. Well, going back or, to my yeah. suggestion that I made, I think it was two episodes ago. Yeah. What if we went to regular homes, hmm. the district start buying regular homes, using the buildings that are already there as community structures they can use it for all kinds of things they yeah. could you know work with the community colleges in doing many many activities you've got sports you've got a lot and you can work with the city with their recreational and just have something so that it 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 vibrates the community and brings them up but if yeah. the kids are in a house it's got a better feel to it. And, yep. and you know, the learning, it would have to be structured, sure. And like I said, well, the seed yeah. money might be higher, but, but your, maintenance costs, yeah. your maintenance costs are going to be lessened. Right. And here's another little tidbit, too. In the big schools, there's an emphasis on, like, grade level or age level. Mm -hmm. But in learning, we certainly found out that people grow and age intellectually at different levels. And so if you're in the sixth grade, you're not ready for sixth grade subjects. You know, it's not good. So we, you know, you could decrease an emphasis, if not remove them in a lot of ways, when you have a smaller environment, sometimes ability based, sometimes mixed class. Remove where, who? Who would you remove? Well, you would remove that that inhibition, that that structural. Well, you're in, you're a seventh grader. You're you know you're twelve or thirteen. You should be able to do this. Yeah, you should be able to do it. But sometimes you're behind, or you're advanced. Some of those advanced kids get held way back, and so they could mm -hmm. work with the more advanced kids in the school in that regard too. And so right. it's not grade level per se. It's cohort. It's like these kids are my kind of my. So you're going to make in this certain way. Okay, so let's say that for the first, let's say for grades one through five, grades one through six, and yeah. keeping everything very fluid, a student, a student can move up a level by skill. So if you, Philip, concept yeah. are a fast reader, then you can go up into the second or maybe even third grade level, but your writing needs work. So that's still back here. But it's you're not being promoted or demoted or kept in the same place, right. but you are. In a, but it's just very fluid by your skill. So when yeah. your math catches up and everything and you get up there, that's okay because other people aren't doing so well. So we take each one of them as they are. I like that, yeah. And then maybe, maybe when you get to another level, you go to, let's say that they make, 
the grade schools, maybe those then become the high schools, the grade school facilities. Those become the high schools then, and they just do a little <clears throat> something because now you have different elements because those tend to be a little bit bigger yeah. than just a regular home. And still fluidly, and students can move around. They're in charge of their own learning. They can move to the classes that they have an interest in. But if you're doing really well in coding, but you haven't been over here and taken care of that, <laughs> you yeah. don't get to. So you have to do X amount of work in each area per week that you have to find proficiency in. There's That could be one of the task. conditions you put on them. Yeah. You know, I've noticed you've been doing a lot of math and not much writing. So we have to kind of. Yeah. So that. it's time for you to go over and see that one. I hate that old bat. Well, yeah, guess well, what? Guess what? <laughs> there it is. But that's part of learning. You know, it's like, that's one of the best parts of my job. It used to be, I was kind of a mentor. I took it, mm -hmm. you know, very seriously. You know, I have to be consistent with my behavior and my boundaries. And, and I have to be in my, you know, just be a mentor of how to behave in situations and what to accept and not accept and how to do mm -hmm. it. And, yeah. And I would openly talk about some of the struggles I had just to let them know, yeah, summer is. But I'm I thinking, my mouth shut. <laughs> I'm thinking that we have all these places of confinement. Yeah. And children need to be moving. Mm -hmm. They they don't give them the recess that they need. They don't give them the outlets that they need. And they wonder why they have such a remember 20 years ago there was such a huge outcry because there were so many kids who were seen as having ADHD. Yeah. And so the Ritalin, the Adderall, everything was just going crazy. And it's because they had no outlet. Now, if students are given time outside the classroom, so let's say we do a little bit of learning and then let's go outside. Let's do some yard work in this garden that we have, maybe we need to do some weeding. Maybe we learn about the flowers. Let's figure out what we're doing, but then they can also do some other stuff. And it's because they need to have those breaks in order for them, their brain to adjust and process the information. That's about learning. Yeah. And we and, know that. Yeah. Right. And so if we take a look at everything that's being taught about unschooling, about uh, de democratic schools, about what they're doing, what 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 educative processes are actually working, mm -hmm. and then taking those in small chunks and applying them in small chunks instead of grabbing them and saying, "Okay, we're going wholesale on this sucker," and so we're going to Costco this entire class. <laughs> Yeah, which teachers know to be not a good way to do things, uh, which brings me to my final point is that teachers really need to be valued for the relationship that they have with the kids, because that is what it's essentially all about. Take away everything. It's teaching kids and kids learning and teachers are experts. That's our job. We intuitively mm -hmm. know when to push, when to pull. Yeah, it's it's a skill. And if you can focus that support on the student teacher relationship, a lot of it really falls into place. You know, you're not focusing on how the building is going to run or 
how the athletic department's going to fund all the sports. It's just, no, how a teacher is teaching their kids and what they need to do it with. And give them the autonomy to do what's best for the student. And I think we need to bring in the parents. And I think the parents have got to be held a little bit more accountable. Mm -hmm. I don't care that the parents are big that they have the big bucks and that they're bringing big bucks in. If their kid's being a little brat, they need to, they need to take accountability for that. Yeah. Well, we're professionals. I I know your kids are being brat and I'll treat them the way I treat kids like that, which you must trust me by doing because that's my job. I will treat your kid like every other kid, unless they decide they need to be treated differently. Yeah, that's it. You know, there's just certain boundaries in the school. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. here to announce that there's possible violation of one. Your kid or no other kid, it's it's just a boundary violation. It's not a great sin. And when you do have a community, you can actually say those things and people kind of go, oh, yeah. And they work with you. Yeah, maybe you're right. It's like, yeah, right. We can, that's a skill you're going to learn. You can't. Now, let that. me ask you this. What about kids who don't really have a parent? to do things with at home? Well, that I don't know. A lot of them um, found ways to cope. Uh, if they did, and they've got a way of consistently getting their work kind of done. Well, you, I don't you like can homework. with a kid like that. I don't, don't like I don't believe in homework either. I never gave it. I think, I think. No homework. It's, it's, it's contrived. It is. It's just a matter of pe- making people think that they're learning more. And it's never valuable enough to do when you could be doing some real learning and right. some real living. It's just if, a waste of time. If it's going to be anything, it can be practice. Or if you're uh, sick. Well, or yeah. if it's you're, just, you know, and then maybe a flipped learning might work. But right. I think that most of the learning needs to be done in the classroom if it can't, if you can't teach it all in the classroom, figure out a way so that the learning is a little more expedient and a little more efficient. I mean, we've already taken away recess. We're really going to go into their work life. We got to put it back too. in. Recesses right. have to be put back in. I know. I, I totally agree. And you know, a smaller environment could access that real easily. Oh, you very know? much so. Yeah, it's very not much just an assigned class where you have to go outside as a group, even though it's like right. thirty-eight. And you and I, yeah. you and I used to teach in that one-room schoolhouse. We yeah. went not together, but right. people said, "How is? What do you do?" And I said, "I get to go in and teach little fifth graders with whiskers every day, pretty much, because they were so much fun." Because I never knew what was going to come out of their mouths. I didn't know what they were going to be doing. Um, it was actually a joy, and it was a great laboratory. So yeah, I bet it was. It, yeah. you know, we just, and then they tried to put the strictures on, and the kids were upset because they were no longer allowed to explore. They were dictated to what they had to do because <coughs> mainstream said. I'm right. sorry, Autumn. Autumn always comes around at this time, and she needs the attention. I didn't even um, hear. It's funny. Um, mainstream came along. That district came along and said, "You will do this in your program, and this is what's going to happen." Mm-hmm. This is after we had already proved that the teaching methods that we were using 
made all the kids exceed the standards. They scored top. And so they decided that maybe they needed to come down in scores. I don't know. Well, I don't know how many administrators they hired to come up with that edict, but apparently at least one person is being paid to come up with some sort of supervisory attitude by which they'll just impose that. And it, and it's just inappropriate. It's ineffective. It's not needed. It's certainly not wanted. So why is that person being paid to do it? Well, the other unfortunate part of that is the fact that that person has never taught a day. Oh. And doesn't even have a degree in education. Well, there it is. You can get a degree in curriculum and development and never teach ever. Nope. They have a degree in business. It was business, was it? Yes. Was it really a business degree? I I know you're speaking of. Well, that insults me even greater for anybody who imposed any kind of so-called wisdom upon me about teaching. It's all about politics. It's exactly what's going on. We're we're keeping the institutions Mm -hmm. as healthy and alive and ongoing as we can, even though I think they're dead, wheezing and gasping and falling on their knees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Safety issues themselves are off, just off the charts. Yeah. So, and that tells you a lot of some things. It really does. Yeah, because how many more administrators are going to have to hire support staff? They're going to have to hire to keep kids disciplined. Well, in the current system, they're going to keep doing it, and the teachers are going to start going away. Right. Because they're going to put all the kids in front of a computer, and they're going to tell them what they're going to do and when they're going to do it, and that's just the way it's going to be. And they're going to monitor every one of those computer screens to make sure that the kids are on. So basically they turn it into a toxic workplace. So you're kind of like really right. We are 19th century mentality. Nothing changed. We got, well, I think, I think it changed and regressed maybe, but it hasn't, you're right. (laughs) Essentially it hasn't changed. (laughs) It's sad. That is, it's sad. it is, because it, so. it should be. First and foremost, they need to be smaller. That's just critical, and more, you know, base. Like you said, get that house in the community. You know, things will get better, and you'll hire a lot less administrators to make things work. And you'll have fewer maintenance issues. Yeah, a lot less support staff. True. Yeah. And you can turn that, and you can take that that huge building. And you can actually do something with it that can actually generate some income for the community. Hey, I'm ready to go to the 21st century. I am, anybody out there who wants to start a school, come contact me. I'm itching to try <laughs> this out. It's, yep. it's the way to do it. I've been in buildings big lately and it's like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you can get him, type in educationaltriage at gmail.com and address it to Philip and he will get it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's been good. Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, as if that's not enough. There's some details minor and major in there. But yeah, essentially, that's what I'd love to see. Uh, Definitely. I mm, like that. Based upon experience and and people that I've worked with who have experience is a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's wrapping us up. That, that done I did suppose it. it is. Any questions? I don't see any hands. Okay. No. <laughs> Tony, it's been it's been a joy and aloha. Yes, everybody. Aloha to you too.
We'll see you in the next episode of Educational Triage. Thanks for listening, folks. Aloha. Bye.